Welcome to the Making Space Podcast. I'm Jen Pillipow, and this show is dedicated to bringing awareness to our habits and their root causes, because I believe that with awareness comes choice, and with choice comes change. And as a hypnotherapist, I know how much our subconscious minds influence us, but as a human on my own healing journey, I also know it's not always just about mindset. I understand how important integration and embodiment is and how those terms can feel confusing and hard to implement. These are the themes that I like to unpack in this show. This is season three, and I'm joined with my dear friend and colleague, Jennifer Kelly. Jennifer is a professional development trainer and positive psychology coach, and together we're exploring the effects of people-pleasing from our own perspectives, experiences, and circumstances. We hope our conversation sparks some insight in you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Inner Child Reparenting Workshop, now available on my website. If you have trouble with boundaries and saying no, if you have a harsh inner critic and unreasonably high expectations of yourself, if you're highly anxious and you worry constantly about what other people are going to think about you, and if you continually ignore and distract your intense emotions and your needs, then these are all signs that your inner child could use some reparenting and you are the best person to do this. This workshop will help you connect in, actively reparent, and work towards honoring and accepting this part of you. And by connecting into your emotions, you're embodying while releasing old belief systems, making space for fresh new perspectives, choices, and change. This workshop is available now, and you can get the link in the show notes or visit my website at jenpillipow.com. Also, if you are interested in a people-pleasing workshop delivered by Jennifer and I, we would love to know. So head over to the show notes, submit your interest, and let us know that we should get on creating that. And finally, if you're liking this show, please hit subscribe because this does help raise visibility so that other people can find it too. And that would mean so much to us. Let's go to the show. All week, I was really thinking about the hidden faces of people-pleasing. To go back to our very first episode on this, where we talked about how it's so much more than just saying yes, that it has all these deeper layers. And I recognized some of them, but I got really curious about the other behaviors that I might be doing that are actually still people-pleasing, but I'm not recognizing it as such. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit of research and I guess I shouldn't be shocked to determine <laughs> that chronically trying to make someone feel comfortable, mm-hmm. trying to solve someone's problems, those are also linked with people pleasing and going out of your way to make the person again, feel comfortable or at ease, which I do all the time. I did not associate that with people pleasing. So I was amazed to discover that there are even more behaviors in <laughs> being a chronic people pleaser than I realized. Oh, there's so many layers and it's so deeply ingrained in us. I do all those things too. And it, it became really apparent for me when I started doing hypnotherapy and working with clients on that deep level and just real. And you know what? I think there was something to the point where the way that I was trained in hypnotherapy and the, and the expectations that that set up in my mind, it really made me feel like I had this control. Like I could, Oh, it's, it's like actually embarrassing to admit, but like thinking that I could actually like fix people with this modality and then realizing as I got into it, how deeply unique and layered we all are and what an impossible and even silly <laughs> expectation that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really brought into focus for me how, how much of myself I invest in their outcome and their result and how they feel. And if they didn't have a good experience, how I would make that I would take so much ownership of that as to be, that's my fault. I didn't do something right. And I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And that would only reinforce that subconscious belief that I was already carrying that I'm just not good enough, no matter what I do or how hard I try. I have to, I have to try super hard just to be average, (laughs) like all these old beliefs. Right. So I, I completely relate to that. 
Yeah, again, I I really relate to what you said about taking the ownership. And Mm -hmm. I definitely do that. I just assume ownership of the person's troubles, or Mm -hmm. even if they're tired, I'm trying to make them feel better. And I, I think for me, some of it is because I'm so highly sensitive to other people's emotional state. Mm -hmm. Like I can sense the emotion from the person or I observe it. And my first instinct, again, like we talked about in episode one is a form of compassion and empathy, which I think is valid. And I think is, is authentic, but then it gets twisted again into this form of chronic people pleasing. So then I'm immediately taking ownership of what I think that I see and what I sense from the other person. And then I'm trying to intervene. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to set interventions out for them to make them feel better or less tired. And I end up really fussing over some people. And a great example of this is my brother who is home for a certain period. And I'm noticing that he's looking tired. I feel like he's really wore out. And I'm constantly almost like hovering around him. I'm trying to suggest different things. If he wants something, I'm on my feet immediately trying to get it for him. And it's not my job to do that. But whether it's him or a colleague, I'm constantly doing that. It's like, I'll sense the emotion. And somehow I equate that to, I've got to fix this now and put a plan in place when really it's a form of people pleasing. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. It reminds me of that old saying, I don't know if it's a saying or what it is, but it's that, um, watching a caterpillar come out of the cocoon as a butterfly. And if you helped it, it wouldn't come out in full form. It would come out broken and it wouldn't be able to fly. But if you just allow it to struggle and make its way through, just as the process should be, then it comes out fully Mm -hmm. formed and able to fly. Mm -hmm. But what do you think it is inside of you that is so uncomfortable with seeing somebody else's discomfort? Like why not? And I do this too, (laughs) super curious about what you think, but what is it inside of you that is just like, that passes over that, okay, they're having that experience and that is totally okay. And and maybe there's a way for me to support them. I can ask them if they want support, but this isn't for me to fix. Why do you think we bypass that and just jump to, let me just get my hands in there and like, see what I can manipulate. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think for me with certain people, like even my brother, I've always assumed that kind of role with him. Like when we were younger, he was more shyer and introverted than me. So I used to take on, I guess, bigger roles with him, like whether it was, you know, going to the store to get him something because he didn't feel like going out or like it, it is definitely rooted in our childhood. I think that's the surface level answer, but then I'm doing it to other people besides my brother. So what's driving that? I think again is deep down, it's that desire to be liked or to feel like if I do something transform transformative here, it's going to mean that's the question mark. Does it mean validation for me? Does it mean I'm worthy? Does it mean I'm good enough? You know, I think there's a lot of authenticity and true genuine caring behind my actions but I also think I want to be a hero sometimes I think I want to be the hero who makes people feel better and helps people out and is that person that transforms and why I think that has to be me or where that comes from I'm not entirely sure yeah I think for me it's it's what you described it's something that I learned in childhood but I think also it's, it's a way of validation, like validating me and meaning that I'm valuable because of mm-hmm. some kind of result external to me. And, and I think that that's like maybe what I was trained in my mind, right? That validation comes externally and you have to seek it and you have to work for it. And it's not true. We know this, we know that worthiness is inherent, that we're born worthy and that we the, the fact that we're just, we're breathing, we're worthy, but it's, it's hard to embody that. It's hard to believe it when you haven't been 
modeled that or told that or, or really seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious. So this week, were you noticing in the moment that you were doing it or did you notice it after the fact or where did the awareness come in for you? It, it came in after the fact when okay. I decided to see if there were other behaviors or actions that could possibly be classified as people pleasing. Uh, and I discovered in some of my research that that, that was another one of a, co- a common trait hmm. of just trying to always make people feel good. You know, if someone needs something, you're the first on your feet to get it. You're another characteristic was trying to fix people's challenges. And that kind of goes back to needing to allow the person to do that themselves and not taking ownership of that because it actually can be a hindrance. And I think it's really about boundary setting and maybe asking the person if they want that kind of support and help. And if they say no, not then trying to force your way in. Because if I see the person say no, I will think, but they look tired. Right. They look they look sad and I can sense it. And then I automatically, then I'll spend days trying to come up with a strategy to get them to talk to me, <laughs> you know? And, and I want to be that person for them who provides the insight and the guidance and it's really embedded. And although I think it comes from an authentic place, I think, I don't think the motives are entirely authentic. And if I'm truly honest with myself, and I wonder too, if it's to do with confidence, I really think a confident person is able to recognize when they have offered support and help, the other person has said no, and then they're able to respect that and acknowledge that the other person has the right to figure it out for themselves. And I think that takes a lot of confidence just to be able to step back and, and let the other person say no and be where they are. I think you have to be really settled within yourself and, and confident. Mm. Yep. And I think there's also a certain amount of, you have to find comfort within that original discomfort of watching somebody struggle and just allowing them to struggle and not intervene. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable within us. And if we're not used to feeling uncomfortable feelings, it's really uncomfortable. (laughs) It's hard to do. What you mentioned about boundaries, I think is really important because as a recovering chronic people pleaser, I know that boundaries is something that I've really had to work on. And before I realized I could even have boundaries or before I started having boundaries, if somebody had a boundary with me, I didn't understand it. And it made me angry. It's like if somebody would tell me no, or if somebody would do what is right for them, but maybe didn't, wasn't what I wanted, then mm-hmm. it, it felt confrontational. Yeah. I and, think. and I think that's true of a lot of people. If you don't have boundaries, if somebody tries to make a boundary with you, it, it doesn't feel good. And so that's also uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then that brings up other things like just not wanting to have a conflict and not wanting to yes. be disliked, right? It, it kind of all goes back in the same circle. Which are the secondary gains of people pleasing. You don't have to have that conflict or that discomfort. You save yourself from it. And then to go back to what you said about, you know, how we learn this in childhood, it's, it's really adaptive in childhood. It allows us to figure out our role in our family and social system where we feel like we are safe, we will be taken care of, we're going to survive all those really primal instincts. Mm -hmm. And it's so it's super adaptive, and it works really well. And then it's embedded in the subconscious and we get older. And then as adults, we're like, starting to realize what we're doing, and how actually those secondary gains are really short lived and how it's influencing the long term goals that we want to reach. And now it's become maladaptive. So it's not helping anymore. And now it's hindering, but it's locked in the subconscious. And so how do we break this apart? How do we stop this behavior when it seems so layered and it seems to take up so much of our, our brain space? Exactly. I know. And I think we've already discussed or kind of touched on some, some strategies to, to do that, you know, taking the pause evaluating, does this really suit me? And I feel like those techniques are really well 
cater to the first sign of people pleasing, which is saying yes, when you want to say no. Mm-hmm. And I think those are good strategies. And I did mm-hmm. use those this week. And awesome. I, I created some different results. I said no to a wedding reception that I never wanted to go to. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, you know, make up some convoluted excuse. I was just honest about my apprehension around COVID, etc. that my basically my personal reasons for not going. And ordinarily, I would have forced myself to go or I would have gone but had some kind of attachment to going like, oh, I can only stay 40 minutes because I have to go and do something. So I proved to myself that I can say no. And well, first of all, tell me how that all went, like slow it down for me. Yeah, so I I think for me, I had to figure out a way to say no that was comfortable for me. Yeah. So what I've determined is that I feel more comfortable and stronger saying no when I follow it up with a compromise. So oh, a com- yeah. right, a compromise that still suits myself, but one that I think will suit the other person. So for example, I said no to my friend's wedding reception, outdoor reception. I said no because I didn't want to be in a large gathering, but I offered to take her and her husband out to dinner in a couple of weeks. And normally I would have said next week right away, but I said in a couple of weeks. And I also said that I would phone her tomorrow morning to say congratulations and give her best wishes. So I felt like that made me, I guess, feel like I can say no, but yet also still be giving toward the other person because I care about her. She's my friend, but in a way that still suits my interests, but also <laughs> uh, would maybe make them feel good because I know that they like sushi, for example. So that's what I suggested they would do. Now, is this still people pleasing, but in a in a more colorful, unique way? Well, I don't I, know. <laughs> I think I think it's baby steps, right? Because it can be really scary to just say no, and especially when you care about the relationship, right? Yeah. So and and it's still it's it's really hard to break that habit of what do I think would work for them when we don't really know like what would work for them. I guess another way of doing it would be um, asking them what what would be like a preferable way? I guess it depends on how well you know the person. Um, so for example, I, I had a similar thing come up this week that I wanted to say no to, and I couldn't say no without being self-deprecating. I noticed that was like my kind of way out of it. So what had happened was we, there's a few um, people in the neighborhood, a few parents that were all in this group chat because our kids are of a similar age and they're often wandering from house to house. And so it's a way to kind of keep track of where the kids are. And um, they, everybody had decided to get together for drinks Saturday night, like a month, a, a month or so in advance. And at that time I was like, sure, knowing <laughs> full well that I can never make plans that much in advance because it always depends on how I feel that day. Right. So I'm still working through it. But anyways, so it it came up this weekend and people were kind of organizing and some people were dropping out. And instead of um, and it was funny because I missed the notifications for some reasons they, they didn't just show up on my phone like they normally do. And so I didn't see them until the next morning. And I thought this was a really good tactic because what had happened was somebody had reached out and said, hey, when are we getting together? Nobody had responded for hours. That would have killed me. (laughs) Like I wouldn't have been able to do that. And then finally somebody came in and said, Hey, to be honest, totally forgot about it. I've got this other thing going on. And then somebody else chimed in and said, I've got another thing going on too. And then somebody else chimed in and said, I'll be there. And I didn't see any of that until the next morning. So that was like if I could ever just stomach that, that would be the best way just to kind of see like how it's all rolling out. Because what had come to pass is that day I had been to acupuncture and it was a really intense session. And I left it feeling like really spacey and like really needing to get back into my body. I was getting a headache. I was starting to feel really run down. Like I knew that going out for a drink was not going to be in my physical body's best interest at that point. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so it made it easier to decline after I had seen other people already drop out. <laughs> and so I wrote back and I said, Hey, um, oh, and because at that point people are like, okay, let's get together around eight o'clock. <laughs> you know, me <laughs> I'm like eight o'clock. Wow. So I wrote back and I said, listen, at eight o'clock, I'm already in my jammies. <laughs> Um, I've been up since five, but I'll see what I can do. So I kind of left it open just to see how I would be feeling. And after I said that, I said, I'm an old lady. I can't help it. Like I just, I just couldn't say no without, you know, some sort of a um, laugh at me sort of way out, you know, when, and you know what? this, this is the way that I am. I go to bed early. I peter out like starting around 3 PM. <laughs> I just start to get tired and I don't really come back. And so I go to bed early and that's just kind of my lifestyle at this point in time, who knows if that will ever change. But, you know, these are people in the neighborhood that I'm still getting to know. I'm still kind of the newbie here. Mm-hmm. And now they know something about me that is true, right? Like I, I don't like to go out late. I don't really like to go out and have drinks all night long anymore. Like maybe that was fun in my twenties and maybe my early thirties, but I've got different priorities now and different interests and my body just can't handle that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you can say all of that very confidently and very with great assertion to, to me here and to you. our listeners, <laughs> but you know, you could only say it by kind of almost saying this is me but demeaning yes and and I can you are and I can say it to you because you know me and and you accept me right I already feel accepted by you and safe with you and so and I know that and what's so interesting about that is that I know that you accept that in me, even though you're the opposite, you're different. Like your day probably starts around three where you start to kind of, right? Like you're a night owl. And, and normally telling that to somebody who isn't just like me would bring a lot of shame. So I think that also just speaks to like our relationship and how accepting you are of me and in my unique ways, it might be different from you. And I also think that maybe it pinpoints to our need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. or we can reveal how we truly honestly feel you know maybe it just takes us a little bit longer because we're looking for this the safety there yeah. and yeah. we just need to feel a little bit more secure before we're able to be totally assertive and another thing I observed from your story was that it was only when other people bowed out that yeah. you then gave yourself permission so it's like in a way, again, you're still waiting for someone externally to give you the permission, oh, right? Yeah. And and I would have done the same thing. <laughs> like there are times when I have agreed to something and then the next morning I'm like secretly hoping I'm going to see a text where they've canceled. I do this all the <laughs> I time. Like, I get high when people cancel. <laughs> yeah. It's like, please cancel, please cancel, <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, mm-hmm. if I'm going through all this, like, again, have I said yes, where I want it to say no. Mm-hmm. And why do we have to wait for someone else to say no first in order to breathe a sigh of relief and give ourselves permission? Why do we need to demean our, our personality mm-hmm. in order to force acceptance there when really we don't need these people, whoever they are, to accept us? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's a really important point because that's something that I was telling myself in the back of my mind why it was important to do this in that if I'm making new friendships right now, I want to be making, I want people to make friends with who I am, not with who they think I am. Like, I'm just too old for that. I don't have time. And so if, if I'm the kind of person that these people are not going to like, because I go to bed early and I don't drink then maybe they're not for me and I'm not for them. And that's okay. It that's frees us point. up to be with the right people. Yeah. It's and, such a good point. and the other thing I was, I've been telling myself is that it's safe for me to decline a request and not do just whatever I'm asked. Mm. Full stop. Like it's safe for me to say no and it's okay. I don't have to do whatever I'm being asked all the time just because somebody's asking me. And, and that's a feeling that I've always had. If they're asking me, that means I don't have a choice. That was my thought. Right. Right. And you know what I think of too 
is a moment ago, I said, well, maybe we also need to feel a sense of safety in order for us to show our confident voice. But now when I really unpack what I just said, I realize I'm still looking for the other person to provide mm-hmm. with the safety when we can provide that for ourselves, like you just said, mm-hmm. through our own self-talk and just that recognition, like we can create an atmosphere that's safe on our own. <laughs> Yeah, because actually true safety is only within us. That Mm -hmm. is the only place where we can be truly safe when we give ourselves that. It's a hard thing to learn though. It's, it's funny. It's, it's something that I've been working on with my somatic coach because, um, she, in our last session, because I've been seeing her for this fear of spiders that I've been trying to overcome for a long time. I think I told you this and we're, and maybe I even told you this story. So stop me if I, if, if I'm repeating myself, but um, we were talking about safety in the body and she was asking me where, where physically I feel safe. And it's, and it was so strange because I told her one place and, but in my mind, I was like, I never feel safe. And then I was like, why, like, where did that come from? Because I've, I've set up a very safe life for myself. I do I do the work that I love. I live in a house that I love and I live in a place that I love. I live with people that I love. I spend time with people that I love. Like this should all be safe. And this stemmed from my last corporate job where I never felt safe because I was always trying to fit in because I didn't belong. And so in that way, I was always on guard. I always had to be playing a part. I always had to be on because it wasn't me and it wasn't authentic. And that, that's really living with me now. I've only just realized in the last few several weeks that I'm living with this mentality where I can never shut off. And you know, what's really interesting is when I was in that job, I'd be on all day, on all day, come home exhausted, but then I would turn off because I had that physical separation. But then since leaving that job, it's almost like it just never turned off. And maybe because I left abruptly, I didn't say proper goodbyes. I never really closed it. And so I've just been living full time. Like I'm always being watched. Like I'm never good enough. Like I have Mm -hmm. to be on and, and never feeling safe. And I just started to make that connection. And I was just like, well, no wonder I'm freaking exhausted. (laughs) Like I'm just on guard all day. I know. And, and it is so exhausting. I mean, I can relate to your story in the sense of trying to secure contracts. Mm. I feel like I have to play a part. I have to people, please. I have to get to know them and, and come up with interests that mirror those. And, and I, and I say to myself, okay, this is business. These are proven influence strategies, but then I'm like, do I even want this? Do I, do I really, really want this? And why am I forcing myself to do this? And the playing the part is so draining. And we think somehow that playing this part is going to make us feel more secure, but it's the opposite. It's, it creates a feeling of, of, like you said, being on guard and, and never feeling safe. And that's sometimes how I feel in my business as well. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I have a certain amount of clients now, but then I'm like, oh, I'm not doing enough to secure others. Maybe I should check in with this person. And like, what was, what was his favorite show again? And, you know, play uh-huh. these, what I feel like are tactics when really this other voice inside of me says, you know what, they know what you can bring. Why do you have to do all this? Like, why do you exhaust yourself trying to impress them or make them like you more when like, when is enough enough? Well, and then what also comes to mind is how I was talking about, am I making the right friends? Are these the right clients? Exactly. It's, it's the the same thing, right? And, and why shouldn't we be vetting situations, people, work, with that lens. And I think where we struggle with that, then that leads to that feeling of on safety, <laughs> you know, we're creating that for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's more complicated when you bring money into the situation because money is so tied in with our sense of safety also, yeah. but, but I mean, like blue skying, <laughs> if we just were ourselves and we allowed 
to ourselves to attract the right people and repel the right people? What kind of friendships do we have? What kind of a business would we have? What kind of clients we have what kind of life would we be living? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And I think about that. I'm like, am I in the situation that I truly want? And we talked about this in episode one, like how, how much of what I'm doing or who I'm interacting with is really because I'm trying to be liked or I'm trying to people please. Like when I scale it back, there's only a few connections that I feel are truly authentic. Like one is the one I have with you. I can mm-hmm. fully say there's authenticity there. Mm-hmm. Um, another friend of mine, but even with her, I find like I'm people pleasing around our schedule to, to go to the gym because she wants to go early. Now, you know me, Jen. I mean, that doesn't work. <laughs> I can't like I can barely function until like 9 30 or 10 right ask me to go at 11 p.m it's perfect but I I constantly I accommodate her because of her work and her schedule but to tell you the truth I realized this morning I can't stand this I hate getting up and going so I'm saying that it's an authentic connection but then I'm doing it with, with her and that's only diminishing the true parts of the friendship so how many other people are we doing this with are we doing it with people who aren't even really going to serve us in a way that's healthy? And I always worry about that. And again, to connect back to episode one, I always worry about that. Who am I inviting into my life that are actually not good for me? They will not serve me in a healthy way, but I can't see it because I'm so busy trying to be liked, to create safety, and to be please. Okay. So I see like a couple of pathways from there. And, and part of it, what I believe is that when I've had the wrong people in my life and I allow them to take up too much space that takes up room of other people that could come in, that would be the right space. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like whenever you declutter and you get rid of old clothes, how new clothes come in. Yes. Kind of like that. So like it creates a vacuum. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is when is it appropriate to compromise? So for example, in a marriage, I live with my husband and he is a very different person. And where do, where do we compromise with that? And, and when is that not called people pleasing? And I think, yes, I struggle with that too. What's, what's coming to mind for me is that there's been a conversation about it and Okay. Yeah. So here's an example. So Tim is the opposite of me. He is extroverted. He's loud. He's very charming. He's very, um, he loves to be around people and to be the center of attention and high energy gets up early, stays up late, like just runs on batteries. I don't know how he does it. And so his preference in the house is to have music playing in every room, super loud, all the time. <laughs> I'm cringing. <laughs> and, and the TV is always on. And so where we compromise, because where, and where I see this as a compromise and not a people please is that he knows me and I know he accepts me for who I am and I don't hide it. So he knows that that is a strain on me to have all that noise and, and all that just like stuff going on. And so our compromise is that he'll often just play music that I like. Sometimes he'll just play like piano or classical. And, and he knows how much I hate the news. Like I'm so sensitive. I see stuff on the news and it just, it's, it's, it's hard for me to process and get back into my body and all that really takes me out. So he listens with headphones. So, and he's not people pleasing me. He knows that I understand and accept who he is, but we also have a mutual understanding that we want to live in harmony, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah. It's such a good question. It actually reminds me of what I said to my friend who invited me to the wedding reception. I said, no, but I offered a compromise, Mm. right? So Tim isn't saying outright, no, I'm, I'm not going to play the music. Right. But you're, and you're not saying it outright, I'm not going to hear this, but you're both offering each other something else. And I think that's authentic. Just where is that line? Where is it fair compromise? Because obviously you care about the relationship and to a certain extent, you almost have to compromise because you're living in the same household for me. 
I don't want to lose this friendship by not going to her wedding reception. So you, there's a certain, I guess, urgency to, to compromise and a want, but when is it people pleasing versus a fair compromise? And I think that gray area is where we can get trapped. Mm -hmm. And it's really the self-awareness, I think, and slowing it down and asking, Mm -hmm. okay, in this moment, this compromise feels right, but does it really feel right? Like just be, and and that kind of goes back to not responding right away and taking a a day to kind of just think it over, I think, right? Giving ourselves the space to pause and ask, is this really real? I think also that gray, gray part is where the healing can happen because you can ask yourself, am I pretending to be something I'm not? Or am I communicating to this person that this doesn't work for me, but I'll make the compromise because you're important to me. So the example of you going to the gym in the morning, does, does this person know that you're not a morning person and that is a compromise for you? He does. It's, it's interesting. Like she, we, what we created was an eight fifteen time where else she would normally go at seven. Like when I don't go with her, she goes at six thirty-seven. So our compromise was 815. Okay. And she actually picks me up. This is pathetic, I know, but I will not make it just like a car. It's like I cannot make it. Jennifer, if it was 815 PM, the same thing would have to happen to me. But there had you have to force me out. Right. Versus me. If it was eight, I'd be hopping in the car and driving down in the dark with the windows. Thank down God we're three and a half hours apart. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we came up with this arrangement where she picks me up. She has coffee. I mean, she's amazing to do this. And in exchange, I, I offer 815, which to her is like, and, okay. and it's going great, but yes. you know, needs change as well. And I think that's another thing we need to yeah. touch on. Like yeah. we might come up with a suitable compromise or arrangement, but then what happens when our needs change? Mm -hmm. So for example, what I'm noticing now with the type of work I'm doing is that I'm less, I'm more kind of in the house all day. Now I'm an introvert. I don't necessarily need to be interacting with all kinds of people, but I do like say people watching. I do like being on the go a bit. And when I go to the gym in the morning, it's like basically you know, I'm half asleep. <laughs> I'm just trying to get through it. I'm not really enjoying it because I'm tired. When I get home, I'm basically home the entire day and night. And I realized I'd rather go around like 11 or 12. My needs are different now because of the work I'm doing right now. So mm-hmm. then it goes back to, again, why can't I just say, communicate these needs to her and work out a, a new deal? <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's, that's where the huge growth is too, right? Is this ability, you have this person in your life that accepts you that already understands the way that you are. And so communicating to, and okay. So here's another thing that I find that comes up with people pleasing for me anyways, is this black and white thinking all or nothing. And that once I've agreed to something, that's that, like, there's no changing it. And that's just not true because circumstances are always changing. And that's perfectly acceptable. So when you've noticed this shift in you, then it's a signal to have a conversation with her about, Hey, you know, things have kind of changed on my end and this is what would work for me. What would work for you? And who knows, maybe things have changed for her too. Hmm. Yeah. And I thought about this this morning because of course now I've got this increased awareness of these behaviors. And I thought like, why can't I just say it because I feel bad, right? I feel like, oh, I know she prefers morning and, you know, we got this habit. And, but the reality is like, we, we still have the right to request what we need and what we want. You know, we don't always need to be people pleasing. And, you know, another thing that sounds like I'm transferring or switching topics, but I just want to go back to something you asked earlier about like, what would our lives look like and who would be in it? Like that really stands out to me because sometimes I am very troubled thinking, do I actually like this particular person or is it just me trying to impress them and please them? And it bothers me. Like last night I was thinking of a client and I was like, I really should, you know, connect with them, get on a Zoom call, you know, go through the whole, I'm so friendly and energetic routine that I do. And then I was like, but I don't want to. And then I'm like, did I ever really like this person? And that's Uh, troubling to me. 
Yeah. It, okay. So you just brought up like a really big layer to this habit. And that is sometimes people will need to exit your life and it can feel really overwhelming to think about all at once. And I wouldn't recommend like acting out impulsively on anything <laughs> as you're coming into this awareness, yeah. but just letting it kind of settle into your brain and into your life before making any drastic changes, because there's also a way to manage people out kindly. If that is in fact, what needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. But, but that is a, that's a huge topic that we should actually just dedicate one episode to because it's, it's really important about, uh, you know, the, the more work you do on yourself and the more self-awareness that you get and the more confidence that you start to get from that, it can really shift how you've set the foundation of your life. And that can, this can be like a, a really challenging part of it. And that's, that's why I like doing courses and bringing groups of people together so much because we do it together Mm -hmm. and it's, that makes the transitions easier because, you know, sometimes we go through these shifts and changes in our lives and we don't have the support of people in our lives that are doing the same work or understand the same things that you're doing. And it can feel really isolating as you start to bring Mm -hmm. in some of this awareness. So um, it's a really good point that you brought up. No, and I think, you know, it ties back to safety, actually, because if we are living authentically, if we are taking the time to think, do I really want to be connected to this neighbor on the street? Is this someone that I feel a true connection with that I want to spend time with? For me, is this a client that I truly Mm -hmm. enjoy working with? Mm -hmm. How much of it is me playing the part? I think if Mm -hmm. we can shift through that, and, and tap into authenticity, I think we will end up creating the safety we're craving because yeah. we're, we're doing things that feel right and that are truly in line with our true self. Mm-hmm. And then there's less, I actually think ironically, there's less risk with that. You know, like one of my big fears, like I said in episode one, is that I'm not seeing, and that I just said a moment ago as well, that I'm not seeing that this person is false. Yeah, but if yeah. I was acting in a way that's authentic and true to myself and I'm saying no when I want to, I think I would minimize that risk. Absolutely. You would because you're inviting in what is true and authentic to you. But not only that is you're coming from that strong foundation of listening to yourself and giving yourself what you need and asking for what you need, even if that person can't provide it for you. And that's okay too. It's okay for them to say no. It's still okay for you to ask. Right, exactly. Just as it's okay for you to decline and say a reason why without needing to demean yourself or to add some, like to justify it, right? Yeah. And do you know the weird, the other weird thing that I think about with that is that I don't know these people that well. I I know that like they're friendly and they seem like fun and kind and probably people that I would want to spend time with. But the thing is, I don't know. I don't know if, if we're it's not like an, it's not like when you and I met and it was instant, right? And so do I, it's probably not fair to write people off when it's not instant because it's not always instant, right? Yeah. And, 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 there's, and sometimes you just make relationships because it's, it's, just, it, it's like that old saying, are they a friend for a reason, a season or a lifetime? And those all have valid points in your life. And so maybe these neighbor friends are seasonal friends, right? Where it's like our kids are growing up together. We live on the same street. We have these commonalities. Um, but even so, yes, it's, it's worth forging friendships with people. But do I have to, if I'm not feeling well, do I still have to make those? And I think, no, I think that it's important for them to understand me and who I am. And I am not a late person and trust that there's going to be, if we're all meant to be friends, that there will be time in the future where it does align and it makes sense. And they get to know me for who I am, not for who I think I need to be. Exactly. Which could be wrong, by the way. (laughs) I know. And, And that's important to you. And again, to feel safe is that the person there's acceptance there and the person knows who you are and is still accepting and we can't get there for hiding behind these walls, like, you know, trying to fit in. 
and, yeah, and exactly. not belong. It's not yeah. belonging. Exactly. Exactly. I know there's always lots to, to think about, mm-hmm. you know, after we have these conversations. I mean, I do think I'm seeing some small shifts in since we've we've started talking about this and digging in. And some of them are small that I almost discounted them. Like I always write back to clients, for example, I have this like 24 seven, I'm available, you know, me- mentality. And, and some of it is, I think it's the entrepreneurism and I'm very driven and I'm high energy. But then it's like, but how much of it is because I'm trying to impress or I'm trying to get the subject matter expert in my course to like me and, and do I really want to reply? And, you know, this weekend I didn't reply. How did it feel? <laughs> it felt really good. I felt yeah. like I, I just took back the focus and, and put it a little bit more on myself. And when I did that, I realized I didn't have the energy to reply. And that was okay. good. Yeah. Oh, that's see, that's that's good. It came from such a good place. Have you seen the email signature from my work email? Yes. <laughs> it says it's I amazing. don't reply within two days because I want time to carefully reflect. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. That's kind of like the putting the pause in your calendar strategy mm-hmm. that we came up with. How did that week. go? Did you try it? I did. You know, I I found it hard. I did find it hard because, and some of it might be just my driven personality. I just feel like, oh, I got to feel that. Right. So it's a matter of letting myself know that that is work. It's just work on myself, which is actually going to make me a better business person. So I kind of had to keep retelling that message. So that's something I'm going to be trying again this week to do a little better with. Um, And like I said, I made some small shifts with saying no, when I well, you know, what instead yeah. of saying yes, and then yeah. and that's amazing, amazing progress. Yeah. Um, you know, when we first moved to Saskatchewan, we were looking for a new daycare and then, well, then COVID hit. And so there was obviously like a little bit of a break where there was no daycare and I just, I didn't work. I stopped working. But then as we started, things started to open up again and we started to put Roger back into daycare. I wasn't doing client work at that time, as you know, and And so I I had a real like reckoning with myself where I I told myself exactly what you just said is that the work that I need to do is the work on myself. This is going to be some therapy. It's going to be some modalities. It's going to be some reflection, some learning. It's going to be some meditating, lying on the floor, resting. And I was paying for Roger to go to daycare so I could do that work. And that was something I really had to come to terms with because my ingrained must be productive and and make money in order to be worthy. Like that wasn't what was happening. Like if somebody was asking me what I did that day, I would have so much shame about, like, I would just say I worked and they could, I'd let them assume whatever that meant for them. But Mm -hmm. for me, sometimes that meant lying on the floor for 90 minutes to two hours, just getting myself together. Um, Just working through some of the things that I knew that I needed to work on and um, that was work for me for a while. And it really reminds me of last week when we talked about why we don't give ourselves permission for that kind of work and how that's not really taught, you know, self-care, self-compassion, self-love Yeah, and finding that time when you are say struggling financially, or you have a demanding job. And because it's not something that I think is taught when we're younger, like to always carve that time out and have that time, we really have to struggle and work to do it. Yeah. 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 And, and there's a lot of guilt too, because it's like, well, why, why do I have this privilege? I mean, I I mean, (laughs) it's the, I'm literally still financially paying for it now, but <laughs> that's not the point. The point is that I, I, I was able, then it, it was a privilege to be able to have that space and time. Um, and not everybody has that. And, you know, when I was working full-time in my corporate job, I wouldn't have imagined that as a possibility. There's just no way. Yeah, I know. And, and I'd like, like to get to that. Like, sometimes I feel like I go through these fits where I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. I just want to go and like go back to university and do another yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and again, I'm like, am I, is that a sign that I'm just tired and burnt out and I'm pushing myself? Like, unless we take the time to unpack yeah. this yeah, and really do that work. I mean, we won't yeah. discover it. And you're right. We do need certain conditions to align. Mm-hmm. A lot of people yeah. don't have that, you no. know? 
Yeah. We continue to work on it in the small ways. Yes. We've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important. So for me this week in between, I would like to go back to practicing putting the pause in my calendar strategy because I I felt like last week I found that really difficult. So I want to unpack a little bit about why. I also, I want to kind of break down certain people in my life that I'm not sure I want to be there, but I'm automatically trying to to please them. And I'd like to do a bit of work there. How Mm -hmm. about you? Um, oh, I'm really excited to hear how all that goes. And for me, I'm going to continue to check in with myself to see what's authentic action and what's not. And what do I, I'm really working at unhooking that productivity um, piece of it, especially with my work. So not just doing something because my brain is like, you're not being productive enough. You're not making enough money, but to be like, okay, what, what is ready for? um, to be birthed, like what is, where do I need to be creative? What feels right? Um, and working from that place of authenticity within my work, nothing more on the social side this week. This is just more about mm-hmm. authentic work. Authentic work. Mm-hmm. I think I need to do that too, but I'm going to do it in layers. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a lot. Yeah. And some of these people I'm referencing are actually like potential or old clients, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. so yeah, this is the theme there for sure. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, we'll see you next week. Yeah, this is the best part of my week. Like, I love it so much. I'm, I'm hoping that there will be space for us to do this every Monday for the rest of our lives. I know. I was thinking that today. I was looking at my